Hey everyone, Daniel Heffington here. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to give you a special update. Today's guest is Jim Mason, and when we recorded this interview initially, Jim was HSLDA's Vice President of Litigation and Development. However, since recording this interview, it was announced that Jim would be taking on the role of President at HSLDA, as our current President, Mike Smith, is retiring after decades of faithful service. So now, I'm excited to share this episode with you as an introduction to the person who will be leading HSLDA and Generation Joshua in the next era. I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and this show is brought to you by your friends at Generation Joshua. As we travel around the country working with young leaders, we meet all sorts of amazing people who are working to change their corner of the world for the better. If you've ever been to one of our iGovern camps, you've probably heard from some of these people. But we thought that it would be awesome if we could sit down for some in-depth conversations and get their stories on the record so that we could share them with the greater Gen J community. This podcast is the culmination of that process, and we think that you're going to find these conversations encouraging and inspiring. So go ahead, pop in your headphones, connect to your Bluetooth speaker, whatever you got to do, and let's get into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Gen J Podcast. My guest today is Jim Mason. Uh, Since joining HSLDA to lead the litigation team in 2001, Jim Mason has represented homeschooling families in a wide range of challenging situations and has set precedents that have expanded freedom for the homeschool community. In addition to serving as HSLDA's Vice President of Litigation and Development, Jim serves as the President of ParentalRights.org and Vice President of HSLDA Action. By the way, Jim is celebrating 20 years this month as we're recording uh, this, this, this episode at HSLDA. Uh, Jim was instrumental in litigating the 2008 California case Jonathan L. in which a state appellate court reversed its previous ruling that homeschooling was illegal. This put an end to years of controversy over the legal status of homeschooling in California and set a precedent that affects other states as well. Before coming to HSLDA, Jim represented numerous right-to-life groups in campaign finance cases and clerked for an appellate court in Oregon. He graduated with highest honors from Regent University School of Law in 1996, and Jim is a veteran of the U.S. Navy, serving on active duty in Operation Desert Storm. Jim and his wife, Debbie, live in Winchester, Virginia. They have seven children, all of whom are homeschool graduates, and four grandchildren. In his spare time, Jim is an avid bird watcher, waffle connoisseur, an abstract art fan. Jim, thanks for being on the show today. Well, it's my pleasure, Daniel. So uh, to jump right in, we're, we have a bunch of questions to talk through. Uh, Before but, you jump right in and yeah. talk about a bunch of questions, yeah. because I didn't know you were going to read that bio, Oh, really? people are going to be wondering what that means about being a waffle connoisseur. I was just going to j- jump on that. What, yeah. Why would anybody put that in a lawyer's bio, Daniel? Why would they do that to me? I think it's fantastic, and, and maybe maybe that's why I'm not a lawyer, but but why, why do they do that to so you? So the reason that, I, that, that the communications department was having fun with me by including that, <laughs> and the way it happened was a homeschool family that my kids grew up with, uh, when one of their daughters grew up and got married, they opened up Cordial Coffee in yes. Berryville, Virginia, where Daniel and I sometimes bump into each other. That is true. And Cordial Coffee um, serves you know, really good coffee. And the only real food they serve is gluten-free waffles with That's various right. toppings. That's right. And so um, whenever I have like an important uh, anniversary or date with one of my daughters, yeah. especially my wife or my daughters... We go to Cordial Coffee, get waffles, and then I usually take a picture and post it on Facebook. There you go. And the uh, and I say, you know, come to Cordial Coffee because we know the owners and all that stuff. That's right. And the communications team thought that was funny <laughs> and put it in my bio. So they just were, were stalking your personal life, your your family photos of special occasions. I think I think it's great, and and yes, I I uh, can affirm and attest to the the greatness of cordial coffee waffles. By the way, I I don't know if this was you, Jim, but I can't stand gluten free food. Like like I understand people have to have it, but most gluten free food to me, as a gluten full person, tastes horrible. 
the cordial coffee waffles are absolutely fantastic, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't really actually understand what happened because I think gluten was invented when I was about 40 years old oh. because I'd actually <laughs> never heard of it before right, that. Right. And so somebody invented gluten and started putting it in food so they could take it out. That's right. I, 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 I don't really... They're just trying to create a corner on the market. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a lot of great other stuff in addition to the waffles in your bio. By the way, congratulations on celebrating 20 years at HSLDA. Did you think you would be here for 20 years when, when you first started? Um, yeah, 20 years is a long time. I, I have done a lot of different things in my life that don't really fit together um, from, you know, from the surface looking at, looking at my uh, long and winding road. Sure. Um, but, but So becoming um, a lawyer was something I did later in life, and it was always with the ambition of working um, here. Oh, wow. And so the... Uh, um, when, for that, when that finally happened, um, I guess I, I, I honestly think that, you know, it, it's, it's not a surprise to me that it's a surprise to me that they would keep me for that long. It's not a surprise to me that I would stay here that long. That's, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great answer <laughs> that I, and, and that's really fascinating. I think for, for the listeners and, and I don't even know if I was aware of that, that you first kind of that first jump that got you into pursuing being a lawyer at all was with the end goal of, of trying to end up here. Yeah. So I, uh, I had, like I said, a little bit of a winding road, um, when, uh, eventually, um, when, when Debbie and I got married, I was actually a house framer and a carpenter wow. uh, made my living. Framing houses eventually got to the point where I was pretty good um, living out in Oregon. It was a pretty big thing for um, cedar siding. Wow. And so I put on cedar siding for houses. Oh, my <laughs> that gosh. Was, that, was my, that was my thing. And then, you know, as the economy does what the economy does, um, housing didn't... Uh, continue to support me. And so I, uh, I actually, I mean, it was kind of a downtime for me, Daniel. I, yeah. I spent a year in jail and, <laughs> and then I spent a year on house arrest. And following that, I was wow. um, on probation for five years. What, what, what did you do? Well, actually I, I applied for a job at the sheriff's office <laughs> and my first okay. job, my first job was uh, working in the jail. And after not quite a year, almost a year. I um, um, graduated from the police academy, did really well, and the county was at at, at that time um, jail overcrowding was a big deal. Okay. So they were starting a house arrest program for the right. first time ever. This yep. was back in the eighties, and they chose me to launch the house arrest program, which I did. Wow. And so then my job was to get people out of jail because uh, to relieve jail overcrowding and sure. into their house. Did that for a year and then was hired on to um, a regular parole and probation caseload, which I did for about five years. And in that time uh, was when I was recalled to active duty in the Navy. Wow. Went overseas to, um, uh, I was all over, I, I was, uh, we called ourselves Naval Liaison Officers and um uh, we, we met with port officials and did some exciting adventures, riding ships in and out of the Persian Gulf and oh, stuff man. like that. That, yeah. um, <laughs> that would be interesting at that time. Yeah. Well, it was, it was for the first bit after um, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, the, uh, they, told, they told my unit that because of our specialty, we were going to be recalled pretty much right away. And... Then they kind of opened it up to volunteers, and they were able to fill the positions that they needed with volunteers for a while. And then eventually, they uh, they recalled us. So personally, I mean, at that time, I had two children. Debbie was pregnant with number three, and I was, I mean, I was itching to do it. I wanted to do it. Yeah. And every time they put out a call for volunteers, I was like, ah. But I just, you know, I couldn't do it. Uh -huh. Couldn't volunteer. Uh -huh. Sure. And so then eventually they said, well. We run, we've exhausted the volunteer pool now. You guys have to go. Okay. And I was like, oh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh. It wasn't too heartbreaking. <laughs> well, I mean, it was really hard to be recalled and to, you know, leave behind uh, yeah. wife and kids. And we were going into a thing. We didn't really know uh, what we were getting into. But it was at that time then that um, 
when I came back from that, Debbie and I both kind of felt like um, perhaps the Lord was calling us to something else, something okay. new, you know? And, sure. And uh, our oldest child was four. He turned four shortly after I came home. And we were just kind of getting into homeschooling, yeah. not really, you know, too far into it. Um, but then, you know, we, we started uh, subscribing to the Teaching Home magazine, which okay. Gen J listeners may not know what that is, but that's an old-timey magazine that uh, existed um, back in the day. And it, to, to, to uh, get on the cover of the Teaching Home magazine, you had to have about 12 children, and they all had to... <laughs> They had to all dress in the same clothing. Yeah. And, uh, but in... Lots of denim. Oh, it was, well, you know, I mean, it was, it was interesting in those yeah. days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, the, uh, back in, in, in the, so Debbie would get the Teaching Home magazine and she'd read all about, you know, how to teach your kids stuff. Sure. But there were always a couple of pages devoted to, this little known outfit out in Paonian Springs, Virginia, right. where um, lawyers like Chris Clicka would tell stories about sort of outrageous behaviors of public officials towards homeschooling families. And so when Debbie finished with all the, the good how-to homeschool stories, I'd read those um, stories about the Paonian Springs outfit, which at the time was even then HSLDA. And it, eventually it occurred to us that um, we should uh, go to law school, which then, so then, because I wanted to go to law school so that I could become a homeschool lawyer, I, I wrote Mike Ferris a letter, and um, I said, you know, dear Mike, I'm a parole and probation officer, and I'm going to be going to law school at Regent University next fall, and, you know, that should be good news to you, because as soon as I finish, I'm going to come work for you. And he, he wrote back a really kind letter that said, you know, there are a lot of lawyers in the world and hardly anybody does homeschool law. So my advice, don't quit your day job. <laughs> <laughs> and nice. so we did it anyway. And uh, when I graduated, I wrote a letter to Mike Smith and I said, you know, I know you guys told me that I shouldn't do this, but I en ended up, I did go to law school and I yeah. did really well in law school and now I'm ready to come work for you. And got a really kind letter back from Mike Smith and said, great job. You know, congratulations, um, much success in your legal career somewhere else. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> oh. But, um, so fi but five years after I uh, finished law school, uh, somebody here put in notice, and a friend of mine who, who lived here went to church with Mike Ferris. Yeah. Um, on Sunday morning, Mike Ferris told him that... Uh, one of the lawyers had put in their notice, and my friends emailed me and said, well, he told Mike Ferris, he said, I, I think I know a guy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my friend emailed me, and I sent my resume that Sunday, and and I, they, when they interviewed me, um, they had forgotten that they'd already told me no twice. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so um, that was in, in 2001, right? So I... My anniversary is actually in August because I got here right before 9-11. Oh, wow. Oh, and, oh man. Uh, yeah. Lots going on then. Yeah. Um, that's a fascinating story. And one of, the, one of the things that sticks out, like there's a lot of great parts to that, but was it just your belief in the mission that caused you to like keep writing letters to this company that kept saying, not right now, or we're foolish, and like that? Because I think a lot of the students, the Gen J students listening, a question on everybody's horizon more or less as they exit the high school phase is where am I going to school? Am I going to school? Uh, what is my job going to be? And I think that many people would have said, well, Mike Ferris said there's, there's not many lawyers in homeschool law. And Mike Smith said, good luck somewhere else. And you still seemed interested in it and you didn't say, yeah, they, they, they don't know what they're missing or, you know, they, they, they're, you know, whatever, they don't want me, you know, either get discouraged or be like, Ah, fine. I'll go somewhere else and make a million bucks being a lawyer. You know, what what kind of kept that that spark there? Well, I think it was a combination of things from uh, from the very early times after uh, came home from Desert Storm and Debbie and I um, together. I mean, it it took a long time to kind of zero in on 
this mission. Mm-hmm. Um, just had a sense that the Lord was calling us to something else. And um, I'd always been, you know, like I said, I, I took a sort of a, a strange route. Um, I really loved the time that I was a carpenter. Yep. It was a sort of a springtime um, season in my spiritual walk. And mm. it was, and uh, in, in being a parole and probation officer kind of a, uh, introduced me into the legal world yeah. from one, you know, I mean, I, I knew all of the judges, I knew all of the prosecutors, I knew all of the policemen and sheriff's deputies in our county. Yeah. So I was kind of familiar with, I was in and out of the courthouse every day. Um, and, you know, the, the DA in our county, when I told him what I was going to do, um, he said, you're going to what? Homeschool law? What's that? You know, if you're going to go to law school, you know, be a prosecutor. That's right. what, that's what really matters. You right. Know? Um, and so it, there was a pretty strong sense when I discovered that Regent University had a law school that, um, you know, it had been founded by Pat Rob. Well, it had been founded before, but Pat Robertson had taken it over and moved mm-hmm. it to Virginia Beach. And so there was a law school that was um, the professors were all Christians and taught from a Christian perspective. Yeah. And there was a Christian community because I had by the time we actually went to law school, we had three children. And so there was a good community for my wife and kids there. Yeah. And there was just a sense of of calling and the Lord's anointing. And, you know, you just keep as long as you have that sense. Yep. You just keep taking a step and every step, you know, there's no guarantees in life and you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I let, I let them know what I wanted, but that didn't matter. It wasn't until the time was ripe, um, that the situation worked out and, and, um, you know, there, I don't know how you, how you, how you describe it other than it ended up being, uh, uh, fulfillment for me and, uh. Anyway, go ahead. I think I think that's fantastic, and I think that the two things that stick out from that is is that I think I think many people either have have so much of a of a, a hesitancy to they don't want to miss you know something that God has for them, so they'll they'll actually hesitate from verbalizing what they want. You know, they'll say, "Hey, I don't know, maybe God will lead me somewhere somehow." I feel this. And they would never be so bold as to write a letter and say, "Hey, this is what I want," because they're also worried about being disappointed. And then the flip side is the kind of bullheaded, stubborn person who's like not going to pay attention to what to what God's saying in their heart. They're just, you know, out there for, for that dream or something. So that's a really interesting balance of that. And kind of we, we've covered your we've covered kind of that what jumped you into to homeschool law and some of your career with the Navy, with uh, law enforcement of various kinds. Before we move on to some more HSLDA specific questions. I want to jump way back in your story. Say, what kind of a kid were you? Uh, so I grew up um, in. I went to public school. Uh, my dad was a, a geologist, and for various reasons, we moved around a lot. Went to a lot of different schools. Wow. I was um, I was really bright. I would say mm-hmm. um, so bright that. I didn't have to work very hard in school, especially mm. in the early years. Yep, got in a lot of trouble. Not not like bad trouble, but right. I uh, part of part of my growing up years was up in Minnesota, and in the elementary school where I went, they had uh, a coat rack outside the hall. You know, in, in the hallway outside the classroom, and they had a sh- a shelf about six inches up from the floor below the coat hooks. Mm-hmm. Because in Minnesota, everybody wore, uh, uh, you know, rubbers over your shoes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they had this shelf that you could put the boots nice. um, under your coat when you came into school. Nice. And I was, I mean, every parent-teacher conference that my parents ever went to, they'd say something like, "Jimmy is such a nice boy, but he is constantly interrupting the other students and talking and and not paying attention." Uh huh. And so I got to sit out on the shelf with the boots no way. out in the hallway a lot. Oh, my gosh. I can see that's like the the, 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 old, like the little like, you know, film strip. It's like, you know, sad kids sitting with the boots. Wow. That's yeah. interesting. So what uh, was that? 
what, what what was that like like being the the whatever the the rowdy kid or the distracted kid or something like that did that did that uh impact you in any way or were you just kind of like eh i i'm i'm fine i'll sit with the boots i'll sit in class i'll you know did did you did did you write off school as a kid to say this is dumb or were you able to say hey i'm actually just kind of clever at this and i don't need to work as hard as these other kids or something like that well and that's partly why i think um my experience in public school would explain a lot of why I believe in homeschooling. Okay. Because I was not challenged mm-hmm. as a young, you know, probably right up into about sixth or seventh grade. I mm-hmm. wasn't really challenged. I mean, I got straight A's, you know. I mean, I, I, didn't, I never did homework because they'd pass out the little worksheets. Yeah. And I'd get them done, you know, so fast that I never had to do any wow. homework. And wow. it was not a great, you know, experience for someone on uh, you know like me yeah um, but then by the time I got into about seventh grade you couldn't really do that anymore uh-huh. the work assignments were more um, demanding and right you couldn't just you know do it on on just I don't know I, I, I could get by without really trying very hard and yeah. pretty soon I had to actually work mm-hmm. and then I started not doing so well mm-hmm. my high school years I went to five different high schools and you know, I guess I did okay. Um, my 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 memory of it was that I didn't really like high school all yeah. that much. Yeah. Um, of course, I had five of them to pick from, so I guess <laughs> right. Maybe I liked one. That's of brutal. Them. That's more than one per year uh, yeah, as an average. That's pretty much one more than wow. one per year. Um, so I feel that that's why homeschooling is such a good thing, and the the. The other thing that I look back on our homeschool career with our seven kids that I wish I knew then that I know now, um, I've learned a lot more about um, just not being so worried about finishing the book for the year Mm -hmm. and letting children kind of pursue their own interests more. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, And and we did that a fair amount and kind of, you know, the – our younger children experienced more of that as they grew older. But, um, I mean, homeschooling allows children to proceed at their own pace, pursue yeah. their own interests, and be, um, you know, we had, we had one of our children sort of had some special, um, um, some learning challenges. Mm-hmm. And he, as an adult, um, it wasn't that long ago, like within the last year, we, we, told him something about that mm-hmm. and he's you know was long long time out yeah. of school yeah and he like i never knew that wow and he never knew that um you know we never made a big deal out of it right and so he right. never knew it and the things that that debbie learned in helping to address that were done just kind of woven in and done subtly in a way that he didn't even know that it was happening so he never had to fight with the label he, he was never able knew to just, it. Yeah, he, he was, never, yeah. yeah, he was able to get that bespoke approach without without having to, you know, be put in the the whatever group or something like that. So that's really interesting. That's and that that is a, a amazing thing about homeschooling. And what's interesting is like you probably as a kid, your report card's amazing, but you're you're you weren't being mentally challenged. You weren't being like you know engaged on the level you could have been. And that that is a, a something that homeschooling can really address. Um, what uh, you, you as we as we move towards HSLDA, um, you have referenced several things about you know God leading you uh, about about the springtime of your your walk with Christ. What how did you come to have a relationship with Christ? Was that a young thing or an older thing or, or what? What do you want to tell us about that? Uh, so there were there were two major times in my life um, that I point back to, but uh, I grew up in a house that was fairly, it was kind of a, it's sort of strange. I, I haven't really sorted this out myself, so I'm going to lie down on the couch here. Okay, and, sure. Uh, you know, we have let, a, a pull-out one let, from let the me, wall. Let, me analyze, let yeah. me analyze myself a little bit here. Go for it. Um, my family went to church until I was 12 or 13, yep. and I did all the Sunday school, the usual Sunday school stuff, and we were, I would say we were not, you know, avid churchgoers, mm-hmm. but regular churchgoers. Sure. It was, it was just kind of what we did is what people did, mm-hmm. you know, when I was growing up. 
But um, my dad, who, who just passed this year earlier um, and became a believer later in life. Wow. But when I was growing up, he was um, pretty much a hostile, um, I would say, atheist, hostile to things Christian. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, over-the-top hostile. Okay. And so when I was 13, it kind of came to a point of, you know, why are we doing this if we hate it? You know, why are we doing this if it's not true? Why are we doing uh-huh. this if it, if it makes no sense? Sure. And, yeah, there's not... Today, there's not many atheists who go to church. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't, uh, yeah. I mean, I just remember things he said, and I, I, I don't think he was a believer of any kind mm-hmm. at the time, and he was very um, angry at, at, at God at times, too. Um, and so we stopped going to church, and I mentioned five different high schools, and they were five different, very different high schools from very different parts of the country and ended up at a pretty bad high school with lots of drugs and violence. And okay. I became an angry atheist mm. um, with just a little inkling of remembering those years growing up in, in, in Sunday school and in sure. church. There was always a little, little part of me that was reserved for that. But yeah. for the most part, I was an angry atheist. Okay. So when I went to college, I um, was, I was that guy that, that, you know, Campus Crusade folks would witness to yeah. at the dorm, t- you know, the cafeteria table, uh-huh. and then I'd rip them apart. Right. And, you know, I, I thought at the time I was being quite clever. They had posters of you in their, like, trainings, like, uh, watch out for this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was not really that nice. Okay. Um, so, but then um, my freshman year in college, I um, there was a... I lived in a private dorm. It was kind of a weird deal at the time, but it was a private dorm, and it was kind of more like a hotel where everybody had their own bathrooms. It was kind of a hmm. it was a cut above, you know. It was yeah. nicer, and yeah. um, I, uh, as a freshman, I knew a, a, a girl who was a junior. Okay, and she she was very openly a Christian. And I really liked her. Yeah, I wouldn't say I had a crush on her, but yeah. I mean, she was just a really she was like a bigger, big sister yep. kind of thing yep. in the dorm for me. And I could kind of get along with her without, you know, even knowing that she was pretty openly a Christian. Mm-hmm. She was uh, uh, Lebanese-American. Oh, wow. And um, that first Christmas, I, we, I went to school in Oregon and lived in Southern California. And so I needed a ride from, you know, a thousand miles um, from Corvallis, Oregon, down to Southern California. And her family owned uh, one of the first Middle East bakeries in Portland. Oh, wow. So her, her mom and dad actually immigrated from uh, from Lebanon, and they were Lebanese Christians. And so we arranged that, um, it turns out, they were going to, to Southern California for vacation at Christmas, okay. and they arranged to, uh, to give me a ride down. That's incredible. So her dad, named Sam Teeny, um, Stood about five foot four, bald as an egg, <laughs> super energetic. You know, a guy that was just so infectiously happy. You yeah. couldn't uh, help. It didn't matter what he what he said or what he did. Yep. He just did it all in such a winsome way that you know you just smile and laugh. And so they picked me up at the dorm. They picked Suzette and I. You know, we were both in the same dorm. They picked us up on their way down. And Sam Teeny said, "Jim, sit up here." And I had I sat in the passenger seat. Okay. And for 1,000 miles, oh. 18 hours, <laughs> Sam <laughs> Teeny witnessed to me oh my word. <laughs> kind of nonstop, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I think I heard the four spiritual laws and the bridge and you yeah. name it. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was like the first time in my life that the wall of uh, kind of anger mm-hmm. uh, left wow. and it just sort of I didn't, and you know, I didn't fall on my knees and pray at that moment. Yeah, but, um, it it really re- removed the resistance to uh, to thinking about, uh, you know, to think in a favorable way about Christians and Christianity. Yeah, and then the next year, year later, um, I came back. I was a midshipman uh, in the ROTC program, and after my summer training uh, between freshman and junior year, I came back. And we had a new sophomore class advisor who hadn't been there before. And uh, 
he introduced himself to me at our registration. And over the course of uh, that year, he, he, and his, he, he befriended me, uh, went to his home, he and his wife and kids. Um, and and, in, and he, 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 was, he did that. He befriended a lot of the people in my class. Mm-hmm. But eventually, he, uh, he shared that gospel with me in a way that um, I, I'd never... I mean, I, I feel like Sam Teeny laid the, the groundwork and Chuck Smith um, shared the gospel with me in a way that I actually heard it. Wow. And that's when I first uh, made a profession of faith. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really interesting. <clears throat> really very cool. That's... Uh, and Chuck Smith, I'm assuming it wasn't like like the the world-renowned Chuck Smith. It no. Chuck no, Smith. it was a different Chuck okay. Smith. Yeah. It was... Uh, the, Na- Navy, the Navy, Navy Chuck Smith. Navy pilot Chuck Smith. Okay. So Sam Teeny, weirdly enough, um, was sort of like Melchizedek. I never saw him again. I oh, spent wow. a thousand miles <laughs> riding with him. Yeah. With he just nonstop peppered me. And he uh, made the most of the time that your lives intersected. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was he was something else. But then Chuck Smith um, introduced me to my wife. Oh, he, he and his 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 wife actually, but um, and he was my best man, and sh- and his wife was my wife's matron of honor. Wow, we've been friends for almost well, what would it be now? Uh, friends, well, I mean we're still friends. Yeah, you know, for forty plus years. That's amazing. That mm-hmm. the uh, that reminds me of there's a, a lyric in a Ben Rector song. I think it's actually the the song title. It says you can't make old friends, mm-hmm. and that's somebody that you've been friends with that long. That's 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 special. Yeah. Um, I just can I just say say one thing. Yeah. It just alarms me anytime I say that I've done anything for over forty years. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> there's something I, wrong with that. I, yeah. I, when did I get old? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it's all relative, right? I I I uh, you're I consider you older than me, but I don't consider you an old person. But I'm thirty. I just turned 30. And so to think that I've lived for three decades, that blows my mind. But then it's like, well, okay, I'm older than my parents were when they had me. They were young. I'll probably feel the same way when I'm their age. So it's it's interesting. Um, all right. Well, this is amazing. And, and I love the chance that this gives our listeners to get, you know, many of them might be familiar with you. They might have seen an article you've written or read about a case you were involved in. And now they're getting to know you on that more personal level. But let's now move it to some of those those uh, things from your bio related to your role um, as a vice president at HSLDA. Uh, we talked about what got you involved in the homeschooling co- uh, community. Um, we talked about uh, in your bio, there's a, a famous uh, case called Jonathan L. Um, that you were uh, instrumental in litigating. Uh, are there any case highlights or... or um, legal highlights that you would like to, to share with our audience from kind of your 20 past years here at HSLDA? Yeah. So when I, when I write and when I reflect on my life and I think it's true of anybody's life, but, and anybody who tries to tell stories, um, you, you looking back, the days are filled with a lot of dross, Hmm. but Hidden in every day, hidden in every uh, case, in every story, in every life, there are these highlights. And that if you open your eyes to them and try to see them as, um, you know, they're like pearls that you're stringing together uh, on a necklace. And when when you find those pearls, you know, over an extended period of time, it's it, they're lost in the dross of the day, yep. but when you pull them out and put them on the necklace, you have something really beautiful. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so, the Jonathan L case is is probably one of the it's one, it is a highlight, maybe the highlight of my legal career, because it tied so much into my life story, and um, it happened here at HSLDA in. You know, I've actually written a long article about this that's available online, I think, um, uh, how the case developed and my involvement and HSLDA's involvement. and um, But the, the, 
so the when the reason that it it stands out so much is because um, there were many kind of boring things along the way mm-hmm. that prepared me prepared HSLDA uh, for this day when the Court of Appeals in California just out of the blue nobody knew it was coming because it was in a confidential juvenile court case that. Um, the, the parents were representing themselves and, and, it, and, you know, just, yeah. And the court of appeals all of a sudden said, Oh, homeschooling in California is illegal. You know, and all these hundreds of thousands of, of children <laughs> who were being homeschooled suddenly it was illegal. Wow. Um, but we had, and, and there was a legal reason for that, why the court of appeals would say that. And the reason was that in California, you cannot, there, there is no homeschooling law. California has uh, it's a it's a private school state. It has a statute okay. that says um, if you want to form a private school, you have to teach in English and you have to do a couple of things. And every year you have to file an affidavit. Okay. And so homeschoolers at the beginning of the homeschooling movement said there's nothing in there that says I can't form a private school yeah. and teach my own kids at home. Yeah. Um, which is true in the statute. Sure. The only problem was that back in the 50s and early 60s, the California courts had said, no, you can't do that. Hmm. And that was before the start of the real homeschool movement, okay, right? right. So you had these obscure old cases that yep. said you can't do that. But beginning in the late 70s, families, you know, as homeschooling really got yep. started, families did it. Yep. And it was kind of how HSLDA became HSLDA because... One of our co-founders, our president, Mike Smith, was a lawyer in private practice in California Mm -hmm. and decided, he and his wife decided they wanted to homeschool. And it was just in the very early days of homeschooling. And they they said, well, how do you do it? You know, and he he said, well, we use this statute. But then he, being a lawyer, knew about these other cases. Right. And uh, because homeschooling was really taken off in the early 80s, he was getting contacted by lots of families mm-hmm. saying, how do we do this? Or we're doing this and the school district is telling us we can't, what do we do? Yeah. And so he started helping these, these families and that was a major factor in starting HSLDA. Sure. So fast forward for over, um, you know, for 25 years, for the most part, uh, People, families homeschooled under that theory of law. Okay. And education officials in California said it's not legal. Uh huh. Um, but they didn't, there was, it was really difficult to prosecute and HSLD every time anybody got, you know, contacted right. HSLD, beat, beat them back. Right. And, and behind the scenes of that, which is even more important for the, the health and the, and the future of the homeschooling movement. Uh, Family Protection Ministries was a very quiet HSLDA ally that monitored all legislation in California from beginning in the 80s. And any time legislation was proposed that would make it so that that private school statute would obviously not apply to parents teaching their own kids, they would tack on an amendment that would make it so that it looked, I mean, so that it was obviously okay for families. Sure. And and one of the biggest examples was um, there had been this, this horrible uh, situation in the public schools and so the, where a janitor had done something terrible to a student yeah. and, and the uh, uh, legislature passed a bill and the bill said all employees at public and private schools have to have their fingerprints taken and a background check. Oh run at the you know, Department of Justice. Uh-huh. So Family Protection Ministry said that could be bad for homeschoolers. Right. Why would, you know, why would a parent teaching right. their own kids at home yeah. have to get a fingerprint and a background check yeah. to continue doing that? And that would also signal that the legislature really didn't intend for this to apply to a family home yeah, private school. Situation. Right. Yeah. So the uh, uh, so they snuck in an amendment and it's so that the, the law then said, and I'm paraphrasing, all employees of public and private schools have to get fingerprints and background checks. 
except for those private schools consisting of parents teaching exclusively their own kids. <laughs> and so that became kind of, you know, um, sort of evidence, right? I yeah. mean, it's sort of a statutory evidence. It's like interpretation right? written into the so, law. So the legislature in 1998 didn't agree with those court cases from the 50s and 60s. And so for years, uh, after I came to HSLD in 2001, I um, did a bunch of little cases all over the state, uh, my colleagues and I, where social services agencies were denying benefits to homeschoolers based on this old interpretation that the Department of Education kept putting out. So Uh it wasn't challenging the right to homeschool. It was just saying you can't continue getting benefits for your child because they're not lawfully educated. Interesting. And we we won all those cases. We made this fingerprint argument Mm -hmm. and all these little tiny cases all over the state. Yep. And then in 2008, when when the Court of Appeals handed down this surprise opinion, um, it, we actually, uh, there's a whole, I mean, read, read the article, you'll get the full story, but the, the short version is, uh, we filed a petition with the three judges who ruled that homeschooling was illegal saying, Hey, you, you didn't consider a lot of stuff because, um, you know, to be fair to them. It wasn't presented to them. Sure, this little secret theory that we had sure. of all these statutes, that, yeah, you know, fingerprint statutes and other things. And we said, you know, you really should have thought about these before you said it was illegal for everybody. Right. So they granted our petition to rehear the case. Okay. Then we got to present all of the stuff that I'd been presenting to all these little cases for all these years. Yeah. And the th- same three judges that said homeschooling was illegal in February. Um, in August said, nope, it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, which is, I mean, it's a highlight of, of our history here at HSLDA, I think, and, and a highlight of my personal legal career made it feel like the calling to come here was, uh, you know, borne out by being able to participate in that. Yeah. That's that's awesome. That's fantastic. What what why would you say and I mean that story I feel like is in some ways a perfect illustration, but you know, why should why should families today so there's two questions I have. The first one is uh more general. Why should families choose homeschooling today? You know, what what's your case for that? And then secondly, how important or relevant is legal defense for today's homeschoolers? And for somebody who works at HSLDA, that is kind of like throwing the big softball up. But it's a question that people have saying, hey, I know in the 80s it was rough and you were going around, you know, chasing chasing these little cases down that making sure that everybody could actually homeschool. But everyone knows we can homeschool. So why do I need a lawyer? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And it's um there's there's a new answer. I used to answer this question one way, and that answer still is still relevant. But here we sit, approaching the end of 2021, after kind of one of the more extraordinary year, you know, couple of years, yeah. year and a half or so. Um, so in 2008, when the California Court of Appeals ruled that homeschooling um, was not legal, people are already asking, "Well, homeschooling is legal. Why do we need legal defense?" And, you know, then that, that case came along and we, we had not just the, I mean, the, what HSLDA does with the, with the legal team here is we combine legal knowledge with mission zeal. Mm-hmm. So all of our lawyers are either homeschool parents. Yeah. Now, over half of our lawyers now were homeschooled themselves growing up and are now homeschooled oh, wow. legal defense lawyers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, you think about that. That's true. Yeah, we yeah. don't we, we we don't just go out and hire good lawyers. We hire good lawyers who have a connection mm-hmm. and a zeal for the mission. Sure. And so when 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 the big one came in two thousand eight, we had you know background knowledge experience, but we also had the zeal for this thing, so that we didn't take no for an answer. I mean, it was it was interesting trying to even get our petition for rehearing heard. Mm-hmm. Um, because a bunch of legal technicalities and different things. But a lot of people who were kind of homeschool savvy in California said, oh, don't even bother trying. No, but no, courts never grant that. 
you know, let's just get ready to appeal mm. to the Supreme Court. You're just wasting your time. Don't even bother. And then, of course, you know, two weeks later when the court granted it and granted the petition for yeah. rehearing, everybody was like, oh, yeah, that's we knew that all along. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, of course, they'd grant that petition. Like, no classic one. move. But see, we <laughs> had the knowledge, we had the experience and we had the zeal mm -hmm. to push through. And so anytime a legal issue comes up involving homeschooling, um, lots of people can handle kind of routine things, but not everybody cares. Mm -hmm. about but the other thing is now. So this is part two of the answer. Um, homeschooling is legal in all 50 states, but that doesn't mean that you can just go out and homeschool. All 50 states have homeschool laws. And weirdly, every state has an education bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And the education bureaucracy still isn't really all that favorable towards homeschooling. I mean, it's not hostile in the ways it used to be in, in many cases, but it's not all that favorable. Sure. And, you know, there's like 11,500 school districts in America. Yeah. And every school district, weirdly, has a superintendent who's devoted his career to public education, uh -huh. you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it, there's just a whole host of friction mm -hmm. that occurs all over the country. And lots of times families can handle it on their own. Yeah. But a lot of times they need a little help, a little backup. And sometimes the issues are such that having somebody that really knows what they're doing in the homeschool legal setting yep. is really important. Part three of the answer. Okay, great. Um, back in March of 2020, the public education system was broken into yeah. pieces. Yeah. Right. And in-person learning was canceled and parents were working from home and kids were schooling from home. And apart from the tragic uh, consequences of all of that, one of, the, one of the things that happened is that millions of parents learned at least two things. One, they learned that what was, I mean, they started watching public school through the Zoom window. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they discovered that they didn't like it. And the second thing they discovered was having my kids at home and teaching them myself is really fun. Hmm. And I really like it. And there's lots of evidence of that all over the country yeah. that people who never would have thought to homeschool right. were kind of forced into it and they discovered how fulfilling it was and how much better it was and safer environment and you know there there's there's actually um reports and studies coming out now that um right here in loudon county virginia where we sit just a month ago there was an article in the local paper about um loudon county public schools this fall had projected eighty-seven thousand returning students then because of the covid stuff they they lowered that projection down to roughly eighty-five thousand students okay. well 81,000 students showed up. Good heavens. So where did those 7,000, <laughs> you know, yeah. six or 7,000 yeah. students go? Yeah. Well, they didn't, they didn't move to Fairfax County. You know, they <laughs> right. didn't just disappear. Right. They're doing something else. Yeah. And so um, in, in that same article, uh, a local social worker was quoted as saying, yeah, I, I started, you know, when, when in-person learning stopped and people were home, my phone stopped ringing so much. I stopped getting so many calls uh, for high school age students who were suffering from anxiety and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then she said, um, I wish I brought it with me. I could have, the quote is just perfect. She says, many parents discovered that um, they could teach their own kids at home and that it was better for them. And she says, for them, it was a godsend. Wow. And so and that's this is the social worker. Talking. This is, the, the, I mean, she was like a, you know, a, a, not an investigative sure, type, but sure. she was a local professional yeah. social worker yeah. who was helping children dealing with anxiety related yeah. to school attendance. And so, uh, yeah, that's right. Published in the in the local paper. I, I mean, I, it just it, wow. and that story is being repeated over and over and over mm -hmm. in all you know eleven thousand five hundred school districts all across the country. Mm -hmm. And so, there's going to be a couple of things happening, and it's oh, we're seeing it already. Um, 
you know, when you lose six or 7,000 students, mm-hmm. it was like an eight, 8% loss yeah. of students, which corresponds to an 8% hit on your budget mm-hmm. in the public schools. Um, there's, there's likely to be some kind of a backlash. Now, the backlash could be, oh, well, let's make sure, let's, let's actually respond to the marketplace and make the public right. schools a place that people want to come to. A more self-reflective yeah, let, backlash. Let's do that. Yeah. Or let's do something you know, different and you know, let's start going after people. Right. Let's, let's make sure that it's harder to homeschool. Let's right. make, so one of those two things is going to happen. And I think that having a, an outfit like HSLDA for the future is going to be important for two reasons. A lot of these people need help getting started and help succeeding, which is a big part of what we do. We're not, you know, this isn't your 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 parents HSLDA anymore. <laughs> we don't just do law. Right. I mean, we have a whole division of of uh, people design, you know, helping communicate uh, how to get started, how to keep homeschooling, how do you deal with, um, you know, getting your kids into college, how do you help your special needs kids. How, yeah. So a lot of what we do is helping people Tons succeed. Tons of resources. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, 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 that's a big part of what we do. But, but I think there's going to be a need for um, people who are monitoring legislatures and people who are experienced in dealing with the friction that's going to yeah. come with this big deluge of new homeschoolers. That's, that's fantastic. That's a great answer. Um, over your time in homeschool law, is there a trend with the biggest cause of injustice to homeschoolers? For example, things like just plain old malice, like, you know, somebody who thinks they don't like that family, so they're going to go after them. Uh, ignorance of just statutes or, or even what homeschooling is, activist officials, something else. Is there a trend or is it just equally split across all the various reasons that cases come up? Well, the biggest trend, I think, is more towards liberty, actually. Interesting. Um, the legal the legal framework. I mean, it's a big it's a big project for HSLDA and our state allies all over the country is to continue to roll back the barriers. Sure. Um, you know, and, and 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 to make sure that homeschool graduates get treated fairly in mm-hmm. the in the workplace, in the military, yep. in higher ed. And so, you know, for years and years, I mean, we're not finished yet. Um, rolling back the barriers. There's still some pretty antiquated, you know, there in New York, they're still homeschooling under a legal regime that existed before email, <laughs> you know, so, so and it's stupid, right? Yeah. You have to mail something in and they're supposed to mail something right? back and then oh, you mail yeah, something back. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 You know, that's just stupid. Oh, yeah. I've heard. Yes. I'm friends with some New York homeschoolers that were telling me about the pains of that. That right. sounds right. Archaic. And so, so, so that's one, that's one answer. I mean, the, 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 the Borders of freedom have have expanded, and liberty is 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 growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just did a little report on uh, on there are there are these sort of themes, right? Um, one persistent theme that we've dealt with for years is um, those eleven thousand five hundred school superintendents. Yep, they they change. Um, superintendents from time to time. Yeah, they do. And so one of the themes of a kind of case that we or situation that we deal with all the time is, um, you know, you get some bright, bright young um, superintendent. He's got a Ph.D. in education. Mm-hmm. And now he's just got hired to be a superintendent of Acme School District. Mm-hmm. And he knows he knows what's best, my right. friend. <laughs> I mean, he knows how to do this and he knows what's best. And this is outrageous. These homeschoolers, all they have to do is turn in a piece of paper. Not good enough. I need them to tell me more. And I got to know I got I need quarterly reports. <laughs> and and I, I call those there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> right. Right. So we have a lot of new sheriff in town cases. We have to educate them that, you know, it's weird. This is a weird thing, Daniel. I mean, I don't know if you know a lot about American law, but when a state legislature passes a law that says homeschoolers have to do this and only this, yeah. that law applies to the superintendent, too. <laughs> <laughs> they can't just come in and make up their own law. They don't, weird, get, their, huh? they don't get their crown and it, scepter when just, they become a... It's a strange recurring theme <laughs> that happens over and over again. That's that's amazing. Um, speaking of that, speaking of the advance of freedom, law, all this kind of stuff, what what is being done 
to proactively advance you know you're talking about rolling back what in addition to HSLDA fighting the fight legally what is being done proactively on like either either the the advocacy level or the federal level or something like that well so federal level is a dirty word okay um, we're pretty solidly in the camp that educational freedom is a state issue should, great should not be taken up by the federal government at all in any way, shape, or form. But I'm assuming there's some people on the federal level we have to convince of that. Well, every once in a while, yeah, every once in a while, and weirdly, it's it's mostly our friends who want to help us, mm -hmm. that want to muddy up things that mm -hmm. we don't really, we as HSLD anyway, uh, don't, don't care for. Yeah. Um, um, so... You know, on an advocacy level, one, I, I mentioned this earlier, but pretty much every state has a state organization mm -hmm. that helps homeschool families. But one of the key things they do is monitor legislation, which we do. We spend an yep. enormous amount of our resources on um, monitoring legislation in all 50 states um, and making sure, in addition to affirmative things that we want to accomplish um, we make sure that things that would harm homeschool freedom sure. uh, are, are addressed, you know, right from the front, right from the get go. Yeah. And we do it on all, all levels. You know, our, our, each of our attorneys is monitoring states and, and working with the local groups to uh, make sure that, you know, I mean, we develop personal relationships with state legislators mm -hmm. and we do all kinds of things to yeah. make sure that the, the freedoms that we've, work so hard to get aren't going to be eroded by either inattention or, or purposefully. That's fantastic. Um, as we kind of, we've, we've fairly well covered, uh, the, the kind of the mission, the, the, the work of HSLDA. Um, but you, you have in, in, even in your bio, you have other, other, um, aspects to your work, including something that's close to, uh, close to my heart. Uh, in addition to the rest of this, is it, one of your titles is Vice President of HSLDA Action. What can you tell us about that group? Yeah. I mean... Of weirdos. You know, every every, every um, sunny day has its cloud, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> every, every, every... In the sky of HSLDA, there's always one cloud. <laughs> there's always one cloud. No, it's been a real delight for me. Um, so one of the... This... I don't know how much time we have, but... We I, have, yeah, we, we can go, assuming you're good, we can go for a couple more minutes. Here's a, this is a story that Daniel Heffington has not heard before, I guess. I okay. Bet. All right. Um, the bets are on, people. You've heard it. When I, so after Mike Smith rejected me, you know, and HSODA had rejected me now for two, twice in a row. Right. I, you know, I just, I, I still had to have a job. <laughs> True. And so. One does often. <laughs> one has to work. Um, and I, after law school, I clerked for a, an appellate court for two years, and then I had an opportunity to work for the General Counsel for National Right to Life Committee, and the, um, the, we represented right to life groups all over the country in primarily free speech campaign finance cases. Um, and so I got to know an awful lot about federal and state campaign finance laws. Hmm. And... When I came to work here at HSLDA, it was apparent to me that they would like to be more involved in politics. Mm -hmm. And I, I suggested fairly early in my tenure here that, well, why don't you do it? And yeah. they told me, well, our tax lawyer told us that we can't. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, actually, no, you, you can. Yeah. I mean, there are, there, there are ways of structuring this yeah. so that you can do that. And they said, no, you can't. And I said, yes, you can. No, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. And finally they said, okay, write up a memo. Uh -huh, <laughs> you know? uh -huh. So I wrote up a memo and they said, ah, this, this can't be right. So then they hired a DC law firm, yeah. <laughs> a big DC law firm. Yeah. Um, and the DC law firm said, yep, this is right. <laughs> and so, uh, vindication opportunities came. And we started what the, the early days, be, what is now HSLDA Action, mm -hmm. um, with an HS, the mission of HSLDA Action has, has grown some. Um, in the early days, you know, the Generation, jo Generation Joshua student action teams yeah. uh, came out of that 
understanding that HSLDA could actually be involved in politics yeah. if it was structured correctly. Yeah. And the vision was, okay, we don't want to just work on, you know, we're not just going to be political actors. What we really want to do is help uh, homeschooled kids develop a view of productive civic involvement mm-hmm. that involves a bunch of things, right? Mm-hmm. Not just, and, and, and so HSLD Action deals with a whole host of, of ways for uh, people, adults and children to become civically involved, including um, being active in campaigns. And so we, uh, um, that's, that's what we do. And, and so HSLDA action, you know, where you, where you reside. That's right. Does, you know, so HSLDA action is, uh, one of those things that you have to keep your eye on because if you don't pretty soon, they're going to be taking over the world. That's especially with Joel involved. Yeah. I think, you know, that's, yeah. that's always a, that's always a possibility. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, as we kind of wrap up, and I don't want to keep you uh, too long, um, do you have time for two final questions? One and a half. One and a half. Great. All right. So the first, the first half is, um, what have you learned by watching birds? In your bio, it said that you are an avid bird watcher. And I remember, I'm going to share one story. You do know this story, but I don't know if you remember this story, which was one time you were, you and I, I believe, were riding to the airport for some event that both of us were, were flying to. And you said, uh, you, you said, all right, you were going to give me the ride. So I was like, all right, great. So I hopped in your car and you said, quick, uh, I have to check on something though. And we kind of sped across campus and I was like, oh snap, is this like a legal case? Like, you know, what's going on? Are we gathering evidence, you know, for, and, and are we talking with PhD? And we zoom across to the back, uh, parking lot and you jump out and there's a killdeer nest. <laughs> And I, I happen to love killdeers because they, they lived by my parents' house. And I thought that was like the coolest thing. And I, I was counting myself lucky to be there for that. But you, I, this is something you're known for. <laughs> what, have you, what have you learned watching birds? Well, I think what it, for me, it's, um, I mentioned earlier the, the, the uh, finding the pearls and the dross of every day and the, Watching, bird watching is a way of a, a way for me to do that, mm. and and the seasons, you know, seasons of the um, seasons of birds. So, you know, May I got to check out the killdeer nest, mm-hmm. and then when you see the, um, you know, killdeer chicks are precocial, hmm. meaning that they're when they hatch, they're like chickens; they run around. Oh, well, they don't yeah. have to be fed by their parents. Okay, and so when you you know, monitoring the killdeer nest every year yeah. is super important because you want to see that moment when those teeny tiny little baby oh, killdeer yeah. are running around. And it's like, I mean, who invented that? How could yeah. that even, how could they even exist? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, there's a heron, uh, heronry, uh, where a colony of herons nest in a sycamore tree. Uh, not far from here, and there's an eagle's nest, bald eagle's nest. Um, and so every year, the seasons of the year, um, it, watching birds and being aware of what's happening. I mean, another thing I love is is the season around here in the Blue Ridge Mountains um, in the early spring. There's a, a, a host of ephemeral wildflowers that bloom. Mm-hmm. And just the marvel of that, that ephemeral wildflowers only bloom in the deep woods at, a, at the, the moment in time when the length of the day has gotten to be just enough, but before the leaves come out, wow. these perennial um, wildflowers bloom. And it's like, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. That's, and that's something that I have always appreciated as I've gotten to know you over the years is that that appreciation for not just, the legal side of life, the technical side of life, you know, all that good classic lawyer stuff, but the beauty of, of God's creation and, and all of that. So that's fantastic. And uh, as we sign off, is there anything else you would like to say uh, to either the Gen J audience or how people can learn more about uh, HSLDA or any of these things? Well, for the Gen J audience, um, you know, stick with it, man. This is, this is an exciting time that we live in. Um, 
you know, you look around and you can be pretty gloomy and, and, and think about everything bad that could happen. But this is, this is your time. And whatever your time is, no matter what time that is, I, I, it's, it's, you know, lift up your eyes, um, look to the horizon. The Lord is, the Lord is here and, you know, find out what he's doing and get involved in it. Um, and, and you won't go wrong. That's amazing. Well, Jim, thanks so much. It was great having you on. Come back sometime. All right. Thank you. Hey, friends, if you enjoyed today's episode of the Gen J podcast, go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, most of the other major podcast sites and apps. If you really liked the show, go ahead and leave us a five star rating and a review, uh, hopefully a good review to help other people find it. Uh, This is really helpful when we're starting out with a new show to help people connect with the podcasts who are already listening to similar podcasts. We would love to stay in touch with you, so shoot us an email at info at generationjoshua.org or follow us at Generation Joshua on Instagram and Facebook. We will be back soon with another episode.